Hi, Thea Hills here from the Virtual Coffee House and welcome. And today I'm here again with Chris Thorne. So welcome, Chris. Hello, Thea. And Chris is an executive coach, facilitator, NLP practitioner and a partner in the Virtual Coffee House. She works with leaders and teams to help them develop a growth mindset, become more resilient and also become masters at learning effectively in the new world of work. And that really is what our discussion is going to be about today. The urgency of both creating a culture of coaching or, or learning, if you prefer, but really also ultimately to create a true learning organisation. Welcome, Chris. Let's start Thanks, with you. Steve. Okay. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about you know the need for a coaching culture and a learning organisation. And I think with any discussion... Um, obviously, the obvious questions you want to hear answered are firstly, so what, what is this coaching culture and learning organization? Why do I need it? And how do I do it? So why don't we kick off with the why? Because that's really where anything, anything starts is that awareness piece. So as we talked about in a previous podcast, uh, one of the top risks that people are facing in HR and organizations today is failing to deal effectively with disruptive change. The so change has become what we're now calling exponential rather than linear. So exponential simply means that the rate of change is in effect doubling. So think if you went through numbers like two, four, eight, 16, et cetera, versus a linear change, which be just one step up, like one, two, three, four, five. And obviously a great example of exponential change we've all been through recently, of course, was the pandemic. And people really failed to understand the speed and the impact of what was going to happen with that. But we've seen other disruptive changes as well, um, advances in AI, electric cars, video calls, well, you know, things that weren't really on the radar a few years ago, and now they're the norm, they're commonplace. But the key thing is all of these changes are handling ever faster and faster than we can actually adapt. And so the number one skill that we need to cope with all this is we need to be adaptable and flexible. We need to be able to learn and learn quickly. So, and in order to learn quickly, it's all about having a, the right mindset that embraces learning, that learns from mistakes. It doesn't see you know, failure as failure. It's, it sees it as an opportunity to grow. And that's a real paradigm shift for people. And it's definitely a skill set. I mean, Fee, how are you seeing this play out in organizations today? What do you think are some of the key reasons why we need to have this coaching culture and learning organization. Companies spending a lot of money on systems for learning, curated learning content, because they've shifted from the classroom over to a more effective way of working in the digital workplace, which that transition is happening. And what else can we do? We are moving into a digital world. And we are living in a world of exponential change. We want to even manage learning in the new world of work. This is the only way of doing it. Now, here's the issue that I'm hearing about all the time, and it is very consistent. Mm. And that is that the people are not engaged and they're not taking up the offer of learning. So there's a load oh. of investment going into learning and they are saying fundamentally they don't have time to do it because they're already overwhelmed with too much work. Too much so this information. Is a, this is, it's not just to, yeah, well, it is about information. I've been given an infinite amount of learning, but you've given me no time to do it. 
because Mm. you're overwhelming me with work. The leaders in organisations are very frustrated because they need their people to learn, not just the mandatory learning, but development. At the same time, they're noticing that we're doing all this investment in learning and, and we can't engage our people into it. So there is this gap at the moment between what the companies need people to do and what people are actually doing. And it's quite conflicting. So unless you give me the time to do it, how do you expect me to do it? Now, one of the issues that I see here is it's not just about time. And yes, it is about a growth mindset that we need our people to have growth mindset, which is tick. We need that. B, can I can I just jump in? I know most people may be familiar with the con- with the term of a growth mindset, but just in case they're not, just a very quick definition of what that is. So a growth mindset is the belief that our abilities are not fixed, okay, that we can learn and develop our talents through continuous practice, reflecting on our performance, getting feedback, and embracing and learning from our mistakes. And of course, in order to have that mindset, we need that culture of safety and we need people to embrace this idea. So I just I just wanted to throw that in in case people weren't familiar with growth mindset. So carry on, Fee. Let's just say we do give our people a development in to, to shift from fixed mindset to growth mindset, which would be a great start. It's not enough because they mm. fundamentally believe they haven't got enough time to do this learning that they're being handed on a daily basis. This is a major frustration. So it's how we overcome this. And one thing they do need is the skill to become masters at learning, prioritizing the learning, understand learning, learning faster. When we put in a coaching culture, there will be the same complaint then, which is, I don't have time. Mm. So we need to overcome this, I don't have time, integrating learning into our daily lives, which is, yes, it is a cultural thing, but it's also a skill that we need to develop in our people. And we're not developing that. A lot of the time, we're guilty of handing them fantastic amounts of learning that cost a lot of money. And also, a lot of that learning is information-based. So we need to balance the information-based learning with transformation, with experiential learning. Mm. So when we're talking about coaching, we're going to have to do the same thing. Yes, we need to create a coaching culture. It needs to be psychologically safe to help foster this coaching culture. And what does that look like? Question mark. Well, hopefully you can answer that for us. But my worry here is that people will say they still haven't got enough time too overwhelmed with work. So that's what I've been finding has been the pain for the organisation. So much so, as you know, that we're planning on actually doing a programme to bridge that gap. I believe so much that this genuinely needs to be solved. This problem of I haven't got enough time to learn. Mm -hmm. You need to help excite people about lifelong learning. And it's the question, again, a question mark, how do we do that? Because only a, a relatively small percent of people are really what you call lifelong learners. Therein lies the why. So over to you, Chris. I suppose the next obvious question, of course, then is, okay, so what is this coaching culture? You know, what is it all about? What is, you know, how is it going to help my organization? So what a coaching culture is, is it's one where we look at coaching as one of the key strategies to achieve our goals, improve our performance, and obviously the growth of the organization and and the individuals within that organization as well. So a coaching culture means that we have regular and organic feedback, you know, going in all directions, you know, from 
team leader to team and leader uh, team to team leader from um, peers across the organization, or perhaps even from someone coming in outside of the organization. And the key thing here is that we're embracing learning as a continuous process. So we're always discussing what we've learned from something. We're celebrating the successes. We're looking at the failure. And, and I say failures, it's, it's you know how you want to define failure. Failure to me is when you stop trying to improve upon what you're doing. So looking at failure as an opportunity to learn and develop and grow. And everyone is both a student and a teacher in this kind of an organization. So some of the benefits um, of having a strong coaching culture, according to um, HR Professionals Magazine, is that we get increased engagement. We get a lot more collaboration. People are more excited because they're being developed. Their performance gets improved. They're more creative. They're more agile. People are taking ownership and responsibility because they feel that the organization's investing in them. They're, you know, they feel as though they're, they're, you know, they're, they're being valued and appreciated because you're putting this time and, and effort into them. And also you're teaching people to self-manage. So they're more capable of managing themselves. And so really, I mean, none of these benefits are anything you'd want to miss out on in the new world of work. And as Fee just started to touch on, so then when we start to think about, okay, how do we put this in place? Uh, really, as with anything, you want to begin, as Stephen Covey said, with the end in mind. So what does this look like? Where are we going? How do we get there? And the goal, the goal of this coaching culture is really about creating a culture of scalable learning. And what do I mean by scalable learning? Now, you're going to hear us talk a lot about the work of, a, of John Hagel, who's a leading expert on the subject. He's head of the Deloitte uh, Chief Learning Officer Forum, and he's consulted in, uh, with numerous organizations around the world on this subject and is, is the leading expert in this area. And he says that scalable learning means that we're basically taking the power of a network of people so that we can learn faster than we can on our own. Because with change happening so quickly, we just we just can't keep up with it. We can't learn fast enough. But when we put ourselves, when we put our minds together, it helps us to comprehend and make sense of that change so that we can learn faster. And we're, you know, when we're part of an organization where we're connected like this then we can discover new knowledge and we can tap into more existing knowledge in a better and more uh, productive way. Now, when we talk about scalable learning, this doesn't mean that we just throw technology at it or we don't read more books or do e-learning or just watch more videos. It's actually a systematic process that we put in place for people to learn, to discover and take in new knowledge and then share that knowledge throughout the organization. And John's, John says that, you know, scalable learning, it's the new reason for a large organization to exist because it's not long, learning is no longer just a, a nice to have. It is the reason that an organizational uh, an organization exists because of this exponential change and our need to be learning on a continuous basis. What we know today isn't going to be effective tomorrow or the next or the next. So it's a constant process of having to adapt. And in a world where we had this constant disruption and we need to innovate, we have to do things, if we do things repeatedly, it means that we're just going to go out of date. So we've got to be continually adapting and learning and seeing where the next direction is. And he says that, um, you know, the organization that can scale learning will be better able to respond to change and innovate through disruption. So developing a scalable learning strategy is one of the most strategic things that an organization can do because it will be one of the biggest competitive differentiators in the 21st century. So if that doesn't get you thinking, I, I don't know what will. What, what do you think, Fee? I've followed John Hagel for a number of years now. And 
he's been talking about scalable learning for a number of years and it's not been picked up as much as I thought it would hmm. like people talking about a learning organization but necessarily a scalable learning organization the only thing I'd say about co- uh, creating a culture of coaching is I think culture happens because we have a mission we have the values and we have a unique why why are we going somewhere as an organization together and that and, mm. and all of us together then create a unique culture so to define a coaching culture we we'll to be careful we don't lose our uniqueness as an organization which is our purpose as an organization so what will the world look like once we've realized our vision if you like together so we have to be careful when we suddenly implement if you if for want of a better word a coaching culture so i don't call it a coaching culture i call it a philosophy of coaching ah and then as far as i'm concerned the culture is what we create as an organization which is unique to us it's semantics okay i get why it's called a coaching culture but i think an organization needs to create their own unique culture which is le- which is really linked to their vision their mission and the purpose of why they're there. On that note, I do believe that creating this philosophy of coaching in our day-to-day lives can really help us to create a scalable learning organization as long as it is psychologically safe. We throw this term of psychological safety around quite a bit. I mean, I can speak up, I can ask a question, my my opinions aren't going to be shot down if I screw up, I'm not going to be you know, hung drawn and quartered. Um, and we we have norms, if you like, for how a mistake is handled. And, and people actually learn how to deal with conflict in a productive way, which is something that a lot of people can shy away from because they, they don't know how to have those conversations. And effectively, yes, it's, it's people feeling what we call safe to engage in these behaviors that enable them to learn and grow. You see things at extremes, you see shining examples of organizations that are mm. really getting it right, doing great things with their people. And then, of course, you'll read these dreadful stories in the news about how people, you know, not, you know, hundreds of people get fired on Zoom or people are leaving because of this manager. You know, it's yeah, it, I definitely it's definitely not the norm as as much as I'd like to see it be. If we could get that site safety right, then you're dealing with a, an environment where the coaching can happen. So say we're here and we want to foster a coaching environment. Where mm-hmm. do I start? Well, I think with any change, it always starts with the awareness because we need to know what we don't know. Uh, we need to understand, you know, what, where are we going with what we're doing right now? You know, what's the impact of our current way of behaving and working? And if that isn't serving you, then we need to raise people's awareness as to why that isn't working and then start to build that picture of, okay, so here's what we want instead. And in order to use coaching as a vehicle to to get there, then firstly you need to know well what is coaching? You know what you know what how does it work? Why is it why is it effective? And obviously with anyone to buy in, it's well what's in it for me? Why do I want to do this? How's it going to help me? Now ideally we'd like to see this modeled by senior leadership, but actually this is a non-linear form of change in that you know this can start at the grassroots level of an organization. Individual teams and and leaders can embrace a coaching behavior and it can start to spread that way. Of course, there has to be some kind of a knowledge transfer, you know, in terms of i.e. well, what are the actual skills of coaching, i.e. listening, building rapport, asking open questions, how to give feedback, helping people to define 
you know, goals and outcomes and break things down and get over obstacles. And uh, when I was training for my for my ICF coaching accreditation and, and also my NLP practitioners, I mean, you learn a number of different models and tools that you can use in coaching and I mean, toolkit. I mean, we both agree Fee, that a toolkit is so important, isn't it? Because when you're starting off learning how to do this stuff, it's really helpful to have something like a toolkit to just help you facilitate those conversations. Do you want to touch on the sort of toolkit that we use in the virtual coffee house? Yes. Well, of course we do preach toolkits because I feel a lot of the time people are given really good knowledge about what it is we're asking them to do. So if you like the information, the knowledge, the new knowledge, um, and then they're even given the skills to get the job done. But often what they're missing are the tools. When you're starting off learning a new skill, it's really helpful to have a toolkit to hand because then you feel equipped with different different ways that you can actually facilitate and open up these conversations. Ultimately, most of these tools are about helping you to have conversations, okay? And we're going to look at some of the different tools that we we have in the virtual coffee house in some of our future episodes and we'll compare and contrast these methods because when you're trying to come up with the right blend for your people, you need different different ways of doing that. So, uh, but just to briefly identify them. So there's one-to-one coaching, which is which is obviously the highest form of really getting in depth and detail on identifying what people need to know and coaching them through uh, mastering that. We've also got group coaching where we're doing this in a small team setting. Uh, and we also use some diagnostic tools to help you identify, you know, where you're starting from, what, pe- what needs to change, where people need to go, and also to measure the change afterward. And we do something called um, cafe-style behavior games, which are our, our unique blend of experiential learning games. So we put people in an experience where they observe, they reflect, and they they you know they apply something to a unique situation. And in the process of, of that reflection, they embed that new knowledge. And then we've got something else called mind nudges, which are little bite-sized well, they are nudges uh, that you that you have in daily increments. They're little five, uh, three to five minute videos or audio clips that get you to reflect on one thought, belief, or bias at a time. And we we're doing those right now in twenty four day sprints to embed new ways of of thinking. So, really, the whole point of these toolkits, firstly, it's to help you master the new skills, but also it's to embed it. Because I don't know about you, but I mean, if you've ever been on a training course and you come back and you've got a load of notes and you stuff them in a drawer, you put them on a shelf and you think, oh, yeah, I need to I need to use these skills if I'm going to master them. But, you know, one of my clients, before she likened it to going, you going on a course and it's like falling off a cliff afterward. You just kind of left to go away and put all this stuff in mm. place on your own. Um, but we need to keep it top of mind. So that's why the toolkit's so great is to have ways to encourage and support people to use these tools and help them to master master them as well. So we suggest things like maybe using some of these behavior games in like your weekly team meetings or doing the mind nudging sprints alongside the learning and getting that coaching going at all these different levels between team leader to team and and team to team leader and peer to peer and you know anyone and everyone in the organization. And then the other aspect, really, which I know you're really passionate about, Fee, is this idea of championship, which we did mm-hmm. touch on how to create our coaching culture change champions in a previous episode. Do you want to talk a little bit about championship and how that helps us to embed this coaching culture? There is this need for championship as a layer across the business. The champions can support it. 
mm. with incremental activities, incremental interventions. They don't have to be big. They can be 15 minutes. Mm. They can be tiny. But with champions and with anyone else in the business, we can't expect them to be neuroscientists. This is what I always say, because we can't <laughs> expect them to be coaching experts or learning experts or OD experts because they're not. So that's why we need to give champions, leaders and whoever we're expecting to perform and become effective at coaching, be it in a one to one environment or in a group session, we must mm -hmm. give them the tools to get the job done. And those tools should be experiential because they shouldn't necessarily need subject matter expertise to be able to, to help deliver this intervention. So mm. with a coaching culture, the tool sets become really important. And then as long as the environment's right, then we give people the knowledge and we give them some skill. There is no reason fostering a coaching environment won't follow. I think it will follow. Well, I not think it will follow. I've seen it happen. So it will follow. But I think the champion's role is to support it all because these people are passionate about change, but we can't expect everyone in the company to be passionate about coaching and development. That's why you need that layer of championship as well. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think the other thing about champions is that you know, when people are uncertain about how to behave, they're going to be looking to other people within an organization to for you know clues on what to do. And those change champions can provide that model, if you like, of excellence for other people to follow and get on board, really, with putting that coaching culture in place in the organization. And, you know, it's because behavior is contagious, isn't it, as we said before. And so when we can get people all modeling that behavior, then it's going to spread even quicker through the organization. And we, we did talk about in our, um, I think it was our episode six, on what are some of the different attributes that these change champions need to have. Um, and just to wrap our conversation up, I, I think the other thing to just throw in here to consider is um, about how do we measure these changes? So per John Hagel, again, he was also saying that, you know, we also need to harness the power of data and analytics because we can't scale anything if we don't know what is and isn't working. We need to use that data so that we can drive this culture this culture of continuous improvement and learning. We can't improve the way we learn unless we know what the changes that we've made are actually leading to you know, actual improvements, gains in performance, gains in productivity or effectiveness or less people leaving the organization or you know, whatever it is. So we need some way of measuring our progress, really. So I think that's an important point to consider. So, um, and as I touched on before, we've got some different diagnostic tools that we can use to help you measure where are we starting from and where, you know, where people got to and where, you know, where do we need to take things? Fee, is there anything else you think I've missed here? No, I would like to add about the seven key indicators of creating like a oh, yes. culture from today's diagnostic. I do believe that the seven key indicators that do come together to create that psychologically safe environment where, where a coaching environment really can happen. That's why I call it the seven key indicators of a coaching culture, which is openness, proactive feedback, feeling valued, motivation, managing differences and taking ownership uh, and managing conflict effectively. Once these seven indicators are in place and once they're in the green on the heat map, we know 
that we've got a coaching culture that can work. And then if Fantastic. we keep that in the if we keep that in the green, that's why using a diagnostic heat map, then we're good to go. The diagnostics for me is different to a survey. Right. How so? The diagnostic is measuring whether your internal needs are being met in a certain area. Right. For example, it's diagnosing what is right or wrong with you. So what's the state of play with you, Chris, right now? How are you feeling, right? Mm. A survey is measuring something really more, asking you questions about something outside yourself. So it might be like talking about the company. So we need both diagnostics and surveys. They're just very different tools. So for this, when we're talking about implementing a coaching culture, then we need the diagnostic, not the right. survey. Because we need to understand where we are with meeting the needs of the people at that point in time. So we need a heat map that says this is the state of play at any one time. And then we can ignite, embed, grow and sustain the culture. Because it's great igniting a new culture. Fantastic. Works really well. And then it fizzles out before you can say Jack Robinson. <laughs> um, yeah it does though doesn't it it, it does so you need that diagnostic to keep you on the straight and narrow and always know where you are the diagnostic is giving you a heat map that's mirroring the organization so you're able to see exactly what's wrong where it's wrong and make the intervention where it matters and where it doesn't matter leave it alone because if it's in the green it's working you're only putting your resources and time and money into what might need attention well and i think the other great thing about that just to bring it to to, to a close really is also that you can see what is actually working um and i think when people see that actually you know there are some things that we're getting right it gives people a bit of hope um and we need hope if we're going to change because otherwise people are just going to be oh you know they're not gonna they're not gonna go with it well, i think this has been an excellent conversation we've had today fee is there is there anything else that people need to know you think about a coaching and learning organization before we wrap up I think this is a subject that we could talk about on a podcast for the next all day. <laughs> yeah, and we have a lot more work to do on this. As I said, I think a growth mindset is really, really important tick. But I also think people need the skills and they need the right environment to create a learning organization. And if you want to do that through a coaching culture, it's probably a really effective way of doing it. If you don't mind, we'll come back and maybe get a bit more granular. So how do I develop a growth mindset in my people to become more effective masters at their own learning? And it's these sort of sessions that I think we need to have, Chris. Excellent. I agree. Growth mindset could be a podcast in and of itself. But we will see you on, or I guess I'd hear you on another episode soon. So all that's left to say is thank you for listening. And thank you very much, Chris, for all your input today. And really appreciate it.